It's Home Court Press, Utah Jazz Talk with Brian Priest and McCade Pearson. As the NBA season enters its home stretch, McCade and I take a look at the standings and start to narrow down who the Jazz could end up facing in the playoffs. Then, we go deep into the conversation about the best player in Utah Jazz history. Is it Rudy Gobert or John Stockton? I think you know who it is. McCade even makes some bold statements about Rudy's standing in the hierarchy of NBA history. But first, we talk the NBA buyout market and can the Lakers overcome injuries to LeBron and AD, as well as NBA summer scheduling. Stay tuned as that and more is coming up next on Home Court Press, Utah Jazz Talk. Welcome into Home Court Press, Utah Jazz Talk. This is our weekly edition. Your host, Brian Priest, here, joined by McCade Pearson, as he always does, the, the steady and reliable McCade. How you doing today, man? We are doing well. I'm ready to be done with school, um, but more importantly, I'm enjoying the jazz season. You know, we did our recap, not recap pods, our comparison pods. Go check those out if you haven't. And we were talking about the 2015 Hawks, who some people think fell short in the playoffs. And the guy we were talking to said, enjoy the ride while you're winning. So I'm sitting mm-hmm. here trying to enjoy the five straight wins from the Jazz and the easy schedule coming up and enjoying this so my heart doesn't get too broken if things don't go perfectly in July. That was Robbie Calland we had for the Hawks, right? Yeah, I believe so, yep. Yeah, so that one was a lot of fun, like McCade said. If you haven't had a chance to check out our comparison pod series, let's see if I can riff these off the top of my head. The 03-04 Detroit Pistons won a title. The 08-9 Orlando Magic that lost in the finals. The 2011-2014 San Antonio Spurs. The 2010-11 Mavericks. Yep. Um, The 2014-15 Warriors that won a title. The 2014-15 Hawks. And the 2017-18... I know this team. It was the Houston Rockets. We did that one with Nima, and then yep. we wrapped it up with in last week's weekly episode, comparing this Jazz team to the last Jazz team to make the finals, the 1998 Stockton and Malone led edition. Right? Did I remember yeah. all of those? No, you missed one. Um, but your buddy out in Philly, we did talk about the 016ers. Ah, oh, he doesn't count. If you don't have a Twitter, you don't count in my world. That's just yep. those yeah, are the I'm rules. Because sure, you're Mr. Twitter over here. Um, <laughs> One more, we'll just go through an interesting fact before we get things underway here. Donovan Mitchell, commencement speaker at the University of Utah, and I'm graduating, so I'll always have Donovan Mitchell as my commencement speaker um, for graduating college. So congrats to Donovan, congrats to me, and that should be a fun time here in a little over a month. I think that's so cool that Donovan is doing something like that, and especially the fact that he's doing it during the middle of the season. I assume that's going to be a Zoom session? No, they're doing some in person. If I'll go, we'll see. We'll see if my mom makes me or not, but... uh (laughs) <laughs> they are doing that live. Um, I think Donovan's speaking. I think it's like May 8th at 7 o'clock at night, something like that. It's still a while away. But anyway, that will be broadcast live on YouTube. So even if you're not graduating from the University of Utah this semester, you can still get on and watch Donovan tell us all how to be successful at life. Well, that's really cool. And I would hope that your mom, I hope that she's a listener, first of all. Hi, Mrs. Pearson. And secondly, I hope that she makes you go to your graduation because I've had this conversation with my wife several times, and when I graduate next year, she's forcing me to go because I've refused to go to any of my other graduations because who wants to sit there for three hours and listen know. to a bunch so, of people that you don't care about? Right. But she's going to make me do it's it. It's not like I've been in class. I know like two of my classmates, so it's all, <laughs> it's all a fun mess. So we'll see what my mom says and then my wife, and we'll go from there. 
Well, we've uh, we've wandered around quite a bit to begin the podcast today, but I've been looking forward to this one. So it's our weekly show. We're going to start with some news and notes, look around the league. We're going to talk about the Lakers and their injury situation. We'll look at buyouts. The NBA scheduled the draft and got that on the calendar. Look at a couple injury situations. And then with the season and what I think it's probably fair to call it the home stretch right now, wouldn't you say? Yeah, we got six weeks left is all. Yeah, so we're going to start every week. We're going to go over the standings watch, and we'll take a look at the Western Conference, where the Jazz sit, who the prospective teams that they might face in the postseason could be. We'll focus on the 6th through 10 spots in the Western Conference. We'll look at the East and just throw some permutations around. And then we're going to wrap today's podcast up. I'm looking forward to this one because... I think McCade's been taking crazy pills, and he's been staying awake way too late at night, just not getting enough sleep. <laughs> I'm honestly a little concerned about you, McCade, because you want to record yourself trying to say that Rudy Gobert is better than John Stockton in the history of the Utah Jazz. Yeah, we're going to talk historical greatness of Rudy Gobert to wrap this show up and how amazing <laughs> he is. So we'll start with Stockton, and depending on how things go, I might bring up some names like Dwight Howard and Bill Russell and... We'll dive into some things, and we'll see how crazy and insane I get towards the back half. But you cannot um, compare him to John Stockton. I'm sorry. You you just, it's not going to work. I, I'm ready for this one. I've got my debate skills prepared. All right, we'll save it then. Let's start. News and notes. Lakers, we haven't really talked about LeBron's injury too much, and they have really been struggling without the four-time MVP. Yeah, Lakers have not looked good lately, but they're they're kind of in a free fall right now. They're 30-17 and 17 on the season. They've lost... Four of their last ten, uh, they have won their last two games, but without LeBron, without Anthony Davis, obviously this isn't a championship team without those two. But I, when I watched free agency play out, and they were able to acquire Dennis Schroeder, and then they went out and signed Montrez Harrell, and they got Marc Gasol, and now they have signed Andre Drummond in the, the buyout market, and that's one we'll discuss more in depth in a minute. But I thought the Lakers would at least be passable as uh, you know, back end of the Western Conference team if LeBron and AD were both to miss time together. But they look lost. Oh, so their schedule, too, is just brutal for the next two weeks. So the reports are right now, LeBron James' mom said some things on social media and just some leaks. LeBron's usually pretty closed about this stuff. Yeah, it's, uh, she, was on the, she was talking in the clubhouse app, which is a new social media, which is just all audio. It's like an audio Twitter. It's kind of yeah. weird. Um, I have one, but I haven't really messed around with it too much. Anyway, so LeBron, they said out about three more weeks from right now. So three weeks from right now, uh, a little under, the Jazz are in L.A. twice. So here's the Lakers schedule, the next 10 games until LeBron's supposed to be back. So they host Milwaukee uh, tonight on Wednesday, and then they have a seven, I'm going to call it a seven-game road trip because it's seven straight road games, but they do come home to play the Clippers in that seven games, so whatever. So they go at Sacramento, at the Clippers, at the Raptors, at the Heat, at the Nets, at the Knicks, at the Hornets, and then come home and play Boston, Utah, and Utah. So that's seven teams that are right in the thick of the playoff race. Um, and the two that aren't are Toronto, who just won a championship a couple of years ago and is still not terrible, and Sacramento, who hasn't lost in like three weeks or something like that. I think they've won five in a row last week and have, and De'Aaron Fox is just playing out of his mind. Like There is a route where the Lakers can now lose another six games in a row, and nobody would blink twice about it because they are just playing great team after great team after great team, and they need Anthony Davis back as soon as possible, let alone LeBron. Yeah, it's a really tough stretch for that Lakers team, and there's a couple things that stand out to me with this injury situation in L.A. Is LeBron with his high ankle sprain. I've had a high ankle sprain. I've listened to, 
I listen to way too many podcasts on a daily and <laughs> weekly basis. But um, the the real ones on the NBA Ringer podcast network, Raja Bell is on there, and he's talked extensively about high ankle sprains that he's suffered and listened to different medical experts on podcasts. Those things, not only are they typically a four- to six-week time frame, which if LeBron is back in three weeks would be at the lower end of that, but still around four weeks, you don't come back 100% healthy. Those linger for months. And um, who was it? It was it was Hans Olsen at The Zone. He was talking about a high ankle sprain he had in his playing career that lingered for like 18 months. So the concern with the Lakers, obviously, when you're missing LeBron and AD, it's it's going to get ugly. But is LeBron even going to be healthy at all to finish the season? You know, that's a good question because I think – it's weird because this playing thing that we'll get into when we talk about the standings makes things a little bit more complicated. It's not like the Lakers can just float their way down to seven or eight and be like, oh, dang it, we're in the seventh seed. Let's go take on Phoenix or Utah, and we'll just go from there. But if they get down to seven, I don't care how good of a team you are. If you're at seven, you're a two-game, you're a back-to-back fluke away from being out of the playoffs, right? Yep. So they need to watch where they're at. They have their only a loss up on the sixth seed right now, and they're four losses up on Dallas and San Antonio, who – have kind of struggled a little bit after some hot streaks. So they should be good. They should only fall to six. But there is a route where they get down into that 7-8 territory, and then they need LeBron to come back and get them out of that 7-8 territory before the end of the season. So, as I said, we'll keep an eye on this because they host the Bucks in a brutal seven-game road trip. Um, Will not be a ton of fun. So, as Anthony Davis is supposed to be reevaluated any day now, and hopefully he gets back soon. Because if not, I could get, as I said, really ugly. It already has gotten really ugly really fast. They lost four games in a row, and then we're down to the Cavaliers at halftime, and then we're tied with the Orlando, whoever's on that Magic team after three quarters, and end up pulling that one out in the fourth. So they've got wins against the Cavs and Magic, and they lost four games since the Brown went down. So they got to figure it out. I think it is a real issue to keep an eye on. Um, but uh, at least they got Andre Drummond, right? <laughs> Hey, they're going to get some empty numbers out of Andre Drummond, no doubt about that. I wanted to touch on the AD injury a little bit more. He's been out, what, five, six weeks right now, and they keep calling it a calf injury, a a calf strain, but they've been super cagey about it. And you're right, he is supposed to be evaluated again. I think it's on Friday, but I saw comments coming out of the Lakers organization yesterday where they said they still don't expect him to be back for at least another couple of weeks. I... I don't think it's a calf injury, man. I really don't. I think they're downplaying it. I think they're they're very concerned about his Achilles. And if they have to, I wouldn't be surprised if they hold AD out for the rest of the season. If they feel like LeBron's not going to be 100%, I could see the Lakers playing the long game and not punting on this season. They're going to make the playoffs. They're going to be able to potentially make some noise, especially if LeBron comes back. But... Does that see? Am I off my rocker here? Does the AD situation seem worse than they're letting on? I don't know. It feels very. I hate when teams do the. We'll evaluate him in two weeks. We'll evaluate him in two weeks, and eight weeks later, they're like, "We'll evaluate him in two weeks." Like, I get the logic a little bit behind the team perspective, but at the end of the day, the NBA is an entertainment business. And I think being honest is a good thing to do. And this is obviously more than an evaluate him in two weeks injury, as you mentioned. Already been out, I think six weeks. And then the other thing is, especially in the time of COVID, it's just weird to go catch a team during a seven-game road trip. So if he's not going with the team to Toronto on next Tuesday, I'm not, well, sorry, not to Toronto, to Tampa next Tuesday, I'm not <laughs> sure if he goes out and joins them on that five-game East Coast swing. So 
And then all of a sudden you're home and you're playing the Jazz. Like, the Jazz play them in two and a half weeks. It is not that far out. Um, the Jazz, of course, just need one of those games to clinch the tiebreaker, which isn't an issue at this point anymore. But you still want to be the Lakers, and mostly for the Jazz, I kind of want to see the Lakers healthy. I don't want to go into a Western Conference matchup against them um, and haven't really seen them this year. So we'll, I'll keep an eye on just how far they fall. But AD does seem to be a little bit more Achilles than calf, and LeBron has a no-fun injury. You know, LeBron already has a ton of minutes on his body throughout his career. He's up, I think, third all-time in minutes played behind Kareem and Carl, mm-hmm. where he's just he's got to be careful. And things don't look great, and they have to be healthy by game one of the playoffs, especially since they're going to be playing a tough, tough team in the first round. If they fall to six, they're playing the Clippers, Suns, maybe Nuggets in the first round. <clears throat> and I don't care how good a team you are, we've only seen it with the mid-'90s Rockets. It's just so hard to win series after series after series when you don't have home court advantage. Because then you just feel like you're playing behind for two straight months. And so they've got to figure it out because even health won't solve all their issues in the playoffs at that point. No, I think you make a great point. And one other thing I wanted to bring up is, is time is working against the Lakers right now. And LeBron is essentially bionic, and I'm sure if he can come back, even at 80, 85, 90%, he's going to be great. But with Anthony Davis, he's been out so long at this point, even if he comes back in, say if he comes back in two weeks in the most optimistic window, he's got a month to get back into shape and get his conditioning right before the playoffs. And so the, the clock is ticking on just having the amount of time to get your body right for playoff basketball because that ticks up another level. It's, the Lakers are going to be interesting to watch. I, I do think that if they can come back and be healthy, they're still going to be as much of a threat as they were predicted to be this season. But it's it's looking less and less likely that that's going to be possible. But let's move on to these buyouts. And we'll Before start... we do, can I start a fire a little fast? Oh, please. I think as of this second, the Lakers have an under 50% chance to make the second round of the playoffs. Is that bold? I mean, at this second, I don't think it's bold. If you say I... that in six weeks, that that might cause some some Twitter storms to come your way. I would put money on Utah, Phoenix, the Clippers, and Nuggets being the four teams that make the second round at this moment. So I think the Lakers are in some big trouble. Yeah, I don't know if I'd even necessarily put the Clippers near the top of that group. I, I like the Blazers more than I like the Clippers right now. Interesting. All right, let's move on to the buyout market because it is an interesting thing to dive into, um, both what happened this buyout market and just a bigger conversation overall. Yeah. So Andre Drummond signs with the Lakers. What does that do for the Lakers? And it, just what are your overall thoughts on Andre Drummond? He's kind of a polarizing player. Yeah, I mean, he's not great. He's not worth $30 million, but people often fail to evaluate people compared to their contracts. Yep. Um, and so it's very easy to say he was not great in Detroit. He was not great in Cleveland. You couldn't get a second-round pick for him, yada, yada, yada. That doesn't mean he's not a great player for $800,000 the rest of the year, whatever the exact number is. Like, that's still a really good signing for the Lakers, and that will help. That gives them a lot of versatility. You know, they can go with a LeBron, AD, Drummond lineup, and that's massive and will be very good. Um, or they can go a little bit smaller and go with, you know, LeBron, AD, the 4-5 and whatnot. There's just no pressure to do anything with Andre Drummond, really. Um, so it's a good signing. I don't think he's a negative player by any means. He's a great rebounder. Um, and a lot of times, you know, this is my argument with Victor Lodipo, is the roles are a real thing. And going from the best player on a team to a role player has a lot of changes. And if a player can do that the right way, it can dramatically change their career. I mean, look at Ray Allen. Ray Allen had four different careers with his time in Milwaukee and Seattle relative to his ultra role player, low-end star with Boston, to his 100% elite role player with Miami. And so if you can adjust to that well, Vince Carter did the same thing, where if you can adjust to being a role player in a proper 
mindset, it can, you can be a great, great, great player again. So I really do like the Drummond signing to LA. No, as a Jazz fan, I hate it. But I don't think it's as bad as people make it out to be because, yes, Drummond isn't the player a lot of people think he is, but he's still a good player. There's still a reason he got a $30 million contract a year in the first place. You bring up Ray Allen with that and being able to fit into different teams and play different roles. And I completely agree with needing to play different roles. I think the better comparison and more recent comparison is Dwight Howard with the Lakers last year. And the the key there, the consistent thing is LeBron James. LeBron brings in veterans from all over the league, guys that he's played against, guys that he's been buddies with and things like that. And if you don't fall into your role with LeBron James on that team, you're gone. Like, there won't be any hesitation. So this is basically Andre Drummond's chance to show that, hey, I understand that I, I get a lot of rebounds, but it hasn't really led to my teams being good or winning at all. And this is his one chance with LeBron in that locker room and hopefully LeBron on the court at some point for Andre Drummond to earn another decent-sized contract and to show that he can be a role player and he's not going to decide three times a game to break the offense and shoot a above the break three like he so often does he's a very frustrating player but he's so talented it is a scary situation that as a jazz fan with him going to la i i don't like it but it's probably the best opportunity for him to reinvigorate his career for sure so especially with a lot of these star players that go to these contending teams a lot of people think they're ring chasing and they are but it's also a good chance for them to play with good players and make themselves look good as they head into free agency this summer. Because Andre Drummond and probably Blake Griffin and Lamarcus Aldridge, those three players aren't going to sign for the minimum this summer, most likely. They're going to go and look out to get MLE-type money, maybe even into the mid-teens, depending if a team has cap space and wants to spend it or whatnot. But they're looking to go get real contracts this summer. And Andre Drummond will have a fantastic opportunity to look like he's a really good player again with the Lakers, um, assuming they get healthy like we just talked about. So now we'll go back east, and we've already got a team that signed Blake Griffin. Now they pick up LaMarcus Aldridge. And the Brooklyn Nets, they they have the best top-end talent in the league right now when healthy, even probably better than the Lakers with AD and LeBron. But I also, before I get into this too much, I will pull back on my hate for James Harden a little bit. His style of play was unwatchable in Houston, but he's playing a different style of basketball it's a lot of fun in Brooklyn right now. It's just, in my mind, it's a matter of can he and Kyrie, and once KD comes back, can they continue to do it as you get into the playoffs? And, you know, the stakes are a little bit higher. That'll be a question mark to, for us to keep an eye on. But we're talking about the buyout right now. So LaMarcus Aldridge signing with the Nets, does that really move the needle at all? For me, I, I don't care. That doesn't bother me. Yeah, I like the Blake Griffin thing. I like the Marcus Aldridge thing, but I don't really know if I love the both of them thing. I don't know if they can really play together as one of four, one of five. And so at that point, what do you do? And you still have DeAndre Jordan there, who's fine. You know, like they have almost one too many mouths to feed. And it's, I mean, we should see. I mean, we said that with Kyrie and Harden and KD, let alone these other three former All Stars they have with them. That if the, if it fits, it works out great and really well. But it. I do think maybe they have one too many mouths to feed um, in terms of the buyout market. Specifically, I thought Aldridge should have gone to Miami. We talked about that or something yeah. like that. That I'm just not sure where it's going to go. And they have defensive issues, right? And Blake's not great defensively. But Marcus Aldridge is horrible defensively at this point in his career. So DeAndre Jordan's probably still the best option as a starter there. Um, and he's and bad. Yeah, he's still got value as a vertical guy. He's better than Andre Drummond, I'll tell you that. Yeah, like, so what is the Marcus Aldridge's role there? Because usually these guys that sign in the buyout market, they want to have a defined role. Like, okay, I'm going here to do this. I'm going here to play 18 minutes and score 10 points. 
um, and post-ups in an ugly game. Okay, perfect. And I'm not sure what Aldridge's role is here with the Nets, and so we'll see how that plays out, especially when they get healthy, because Kyrie's missed 15 games. You want to talk about AD's scary injury? KD might be injured the rest of his career. He might just be an injury-prone player now after yeah. his Achilles issue. Um, he's not back yet. So I think that James Harden, KD, and Kyrie have only played nine games together so far. So I'm interested to see how the Nets all fall into place if, when they get healthy. And you mentioned the Nets' question marks on the defensive end, and it brings me to a larger-picture question. Uh, we, we see the Nets going just all-in, 100% offense. We will outscore you if we're going to beat you. Uh, you see the Portland Trailblazers did that with their trade for Norman Powell. They, clearly the focus in Portland is we're going to put the ball in the basket at a higher rate and more efficiently than our opponents will, and that's how we're going to win games. The defensive end is secondary, if even that. It, it might be, just be a tertiary consideration. And it, is that something that we're going to see more and more in the league? Obviously with the pace of play and the three-point shot, it's changed the game in a lot of ways. Are more teams going to focus solely on the offensive end and just try and outscore you? I don't know if more teams are going to focus solely on the offensive end. Is I think teams will focus more solely on one end. You know, with everybody going offense, 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 there might be some cheaper opportunities to go defense, 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 and go 2004 Pistons-like where, hey, if we don't let you score 90 points, we'll figure out a way to score 95 somehow. And so you'll, see the pol- you'll just see polarization, which we're seeing everywhere in the world in sports, and anything you really look at is just getting more and more polarized these days. And I think that's true with the NBA and offense, defense, that teams are getting more and more you're right. It's mostly offense, but there are some defensive things that you can do there to counteract it. And at the end of the day, you're just trying to score more points than your opponent, and it doesn't matter how that comes. If that comes at 91-90 or 120-120, it's still the same result towards a championship. And at the end of the day, you're still only getting one champion out of 30 teams. So we'll see if it works. It can work. I'm not going to say it can't work. It worked for the Rockets a little bit. Oh, they had a good defense even in 2018. It worked for the Pistons when they went all defense. It's worked for the Blazers a little bit. You know, everyone asked if all the shooting could work for the Warriors in 2015, and it did. So it can work. Uh, we'll see if it does work with these specific teams. A couple other buyout guys. Uh, one of them I don't think has officially signed. Jeff Teague has signed with the Bucks, and the talk is Austin Rivers is going to Milwaukee as well. Does that do anything for the Bucks? Um, it doesn't hurt. Uh, if the Jazz play the Bucks in the finals, Austin Rivers might win finals MVP. Um, but Jeff Teague, we talked with the 2014-15 Hawks. Mike Boonholzer, that's a connection that's been there before. That should help um, kind of fill in a little role they need is with DJ Augustine gone in the P.J. Tucker trade as a backup guard. So it's fine. I don't think these things are needle movers, but they're definitely good moves, and any move to get better doesn't hurt, obviously. So it's fine, but I won't look into it too much. Now, big picture buyout question. Just what are your thoughts on the buyout market? Is it a bad thing for small market teams like the Jazz? The flip side of that is we see the Milwaukee Bucks the last couple years have made several buyout acquisitions. They signed Marvin Williams last year. They get Jeff Teague and and Austin Rivers this year. So it's not strictly related to small market teams, more of like where the biggest stars in the league, they're going to attract some of these buyout guys. Is that a good thing for basketball? Uh, kind of going back to the polarization thing, it just means that teams are tanking harder. You know, you see teams like the Thunder getting rid of everybody. You see teams like the Cavs who are like, we don't even want Andre Drummond to win us two more games the rest of the year type things where you're looking to dump these bad contracts. The Pistons, another team, just tanking because they got rid of their star. And so that's not good overall, and it's really not good for small markets. But I'm not sure the NBA has any desire to stop it. So the term buyout market doesn't 
appear in the NBA, CBA even one time. It's a totally fake thing that just has kind of come out of nowhere the last decade or so. And so we'll see if the NBA addresses it at all in the coming years and they make a new CBA in three, four years. You could do some things like bigger tax penalties for signing buyout players or stuff like that that might work a little bit, but I'm just not sure what the solution is other than just having teams hold on to these players. And I mean, it all comes back to tanking, right? So figuring out how to stop tanking without getting rid of the draft completely, which would just be, a, a, that would be a cure bigger than the problem itself, is, you know, getting rid of the draft. So it's just a very complicated issue that I'm not sure if there's an obvious answer to, but uh, it's for sure a bad thing for small markets. I'd argue it's a bad thing for the league overall. But it's something they're going to have to think about and look into, and it will be a conversation in the next CBA, although they could end up doing nothing. And, you know, we have seen, you mentioned the Bucks. Wesley Matthews went to the Pacers a couple of years ago. Uh, Gorgie Dang just signed with the Spurs. That's a really good signing for the Spurs. That kind of flew under the radar. That's a really good signing to San Antonio. So, like, there are these things going on around it, but the former All-Stars of Andre Drum and the Marcus Aldridge, Blake Griffin, you know, they're going to the coastal cities where teams are just really, really good. So, you know, Jeff Teague is the name that Blake Griffin is. So we'll see what happens over the next few years, but it definitely is not the best business model in the world, in my opinion. I think if tanking is the big issue here, the easy solution is addressing the draft, and rather than having a draft lottery and putting the worst teams in the league at the top of that, go to the wheel. Do the draft wheel, and you just rotate through. Every team gets one shot at every pick in the first round over the course of 30 years. I like the wheel idea, personally. I don't know that it's realistic that it would actually get put into place. A couple things that I've been reading and hearing about that do give me concern about the buyout market. I think initially it started as something that was pretty innocent, and I think it's developed into a a method, a a weapon that agents use. And they have, I've seen a couple reports of teams being threatened by agents saying basically, hey, my guy doesn't like this situation that he's in right now. If you don't buy him out, I'm not going to bring you players in the future in free agency. That's a huge problem if that's something that's happening, because, you know, like say if that's the case with Andre Drummond, I, I know... Draymond Green was very unhappy about Drummond being sat by the Cavs and not being able to play. But what if, we don't know what Drummond's representation was saying, and the word has been that apparently they were asking for him not to play just as much as the Cavs didn't want him to play. So it's that's a big issue if agents are threatening teams. And then you brought up the CBA and how buyout market isn't written into the CBA at all. And that's actually interesting to me. I didn't realize it wasn't included in the CBA. It's just something that started to exist. And I could see them trying to do something to make an adjustment to the buyout. And I think it does, it would have to come down to tax penalties for teams that like the Lakers and Nets who are both over the cap right now and making really serious monetary penalties for those teams but i don't see a player like chris paul being the head of the players union and representing that when they do these conversations for the collective bargaining agreement i don't see a reason why chris paul would argue against the buyout market because really it's it benefits the players so there's a fine line on that one between the best teams in the league being able to make themselves better and the players being able to put themselves in a situation and make changes mid-season and control their careers a little bit more. You know, one of the big questions about player empowerment has been 
how much power do players get and you know when they sign a contract and then you're able to ask out of that city the next year and things like that but teams can do the same thing i mean look what happened with the clippers and blake griffin yeah no and so it's a very great conversation we could spend hours on um just some basic ideas are you know Andre Drummond made 30 million maybe if the lakers sign in they get 15 million on their tax bill um, instead of the one million that's going to be, or maybe you do. Oh, if you're a former, for every former All Star game you made, it goes down a million on the tax bill. So Lamarcus Aldridge would cost you seven million or something, and you know Blake Griffin costs you five or whatever. So you could always figure out something. The possibilities are limitless, but it is a conversation that will be had. And I think you're spot on, though. It is a conversation. Chris Paul will go, "Why are we having this? We like this. What are you going to give us if we do this?" So. It's a it's a playing with fire thing. I'm not sure there's a simple solution. Um, and it makes great TV and great conversation. Look what we've done for the past 10 minutes talking about it. I'm sure the league loves us talking about it for 15 minutes and giving it attention. So it's it's a double-edged sword that I'm not sure is going anywhere anytime soon. Are we done with the buyout market? Yeah, we can wrap it up. Okay. So we'll move on. The NBA scheduled the draft. So it's going to be July 29th. That's exactly one week after Game 7 of the finals, probably three to four days after the Jazz hold their parade. Because Always. they're winning the championship, McKay. Talk it into existence. <laughs> but yeah, that, and that's only about two or three days before free agency starts on the night of July 31st. So there's that. So real packed again. It should be a lot of fun. Yeah. And another interesting thing that's going on is the NBA Draft Combine is actually going to be during the playoffs, which uh, has never happened before, to my understanding, right? Uh, they usually do it sometime between the conference finals and finals. So, yeah, I usually have about 26 teams done. Um, and we'll see exactly when the playoffs wrap around here, but that seems to kind of be the same thing that they want. At least 26 teams free and open. And it's not like GMs are doing a lot with the playoffs anyway. Your team's set. You're just watching the, for lack of a better term, simulation unfold. Um, I do think it's super interesting they are having the draft lottery during the combine. So, like, the first couple of days of the combine, you're just watching, not knowing what pick you have, and then the last couple of days, you know what pick you have. So that's a little fun quirk that we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see how scouting is done at the combine. And I, I'm looking forward to that. I always enjoy the draft lottery and seeing the who teams send as a good luck charm for the lottery and how it shakes out always makes for a good night of conversation. Last thing we had here in the news and notes, one injury note. And this is a playoff team in the Eastern Conference, as I pull up the standings right now. They're sitting at fifth in the East. The New York Knicks lose Mitchell Robinson to a fractured foot, and there's no timetable right now, but with six weeks remaining in the season, we saw C.J. McCollum break his foot early in the year, two games in, and he missed about eight weeks, eight, nine weeks, I believe it was. So Mitchell Robinson being a big guy, there's even more potential cause for concern there. I would imagine he's probably out for the remainder of the season. Yeah, um, at least the regular season. Maybe if the Knicks make a playoff run and sneak into the second round of the playoffs, somehow he comes back or something. But, uh, yeah, he's out for the season. I wouldn't think too much of it. And You know, the Knicks weren't trying to compete for a championship this year. I think they were just trying to see if they could sneak into that playing game. And Tom Thibodeau's done a great job because they're in fifth place, and he gave him credit for that. And I don't think it makes a big impact on the championship aspirations of the league, though, overall. It could be a little bit of a blessing in disguise for the Knicks because you're right, they're not in championship conversation. So if they drop a few games because they're without Mitchell Robinson, if they lose a little bit earlier in the playoffs because they don't have Mitchell Robinson, that's probably a better thing. If they can increase their, their draft odds and get two three picks higher, I, I don't think they're going to complain at all. And I would imagine they will play it safe with him. So 
Let's take a quick break, McCade, and then when we come back, we're going to talk about the NBA standings. Time out. How about this, Jeff? Thanks for tuning in today. It's season two of Home Court Press with McCade Pearson and Brian Priest. Home Court Press can be found on any of your major podcatchers, including Google, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And please, if you like what you're hearing, remember to share, rate, and review so that we can expand our audience. Home Court Press can also be found on kbear.com. Just go to kbear.com forward slash home court press. Lastly, give McCade Pearson a follow on Twitter at McCadep8. That's M-C-C-A-D-E-P-8. You can find me, Brian Priest, on Twitter as well at bpriest24. That's at B-P-R-E-E-C-E-24. As always, thanks for listening to Home Court Press. And take note. Now, back to the show. How about this, Jeff? Welcome back from that break. Home Court Press, this is your host, Brian Priest, joined by McCade Pearson. As always, we just got done going over all the news and notes, talked about the Lakers, talked about buyouts, talked about the NBA draft, and Mitchell Robinson with the Knicks. Now, as we get into the home stretch of the season, six weeks left, we're going to start looking at the standings every week. So we'll start in the Eastern Conference and pretty much more or less how you would expect it to look. Philadelphia is still on top. They've got the second best record in the league right now. Right behind them, the Brooklyn Nets, half a game back. The Bucks are only three games back right now. And the Bucks went through a relatively tough stretch earlier this year in comparison to how well they've played in the regular season the two years prior to this. And then it's just a hodgepodge of a bunch of teams that are all just about the same. Yeah, um, I think that one seems super important out east because then you don't have to play the Bucks or the Nets in the second round, 76 or so it ends up being. Um, but yeah, let's just talk about that big chunk in the middle because every time I think a team's getting up on their feet, like the Heat, who won, I think, 10 out of 11 games, they just crash back down to earth. Hey, and hey somehow, real quick, McKay. Um, I, I wanted to, you mentioned that one seed, and I was hearing from some sources out of Philly today that Joel Embiid might actually be back this weekend because they are so focused on getting that one seed. He feels like he's healthy. He wanted to come back on Thursday, but it's an out-of-conference game. So they're they're looking at Saturday for Embiid to return and that would be good for play them. the rest of the stretch. Because, you know, as I mentioned, Brooklyn's only half a game back. The Bucks are only three games back. All these teams just reloaded at the trade deadline and buyout market. So that's a big push. But I'm really excited for the playing matchups this year, especially because the Jazz are going to be the one seed. So we get to watch those playing matchups with intense. You know, all three play-in games will be really important for the Jazz. Oh, yeah. Um, so... But in the East, it's just a big mess. You know, the Heat were good, and they fell off. The Raptors were good, and they lost nine in a row because of COVID. The Bulls somehow were only 19-26, despite the season Zach Levine's had. But they just added Vucevic, and they still can't win games. The Pacers were good, and then they weren't. The Celtics are under 500. It's all a mess. No one knows how it's going. The Hawks were terrible, and then they fired their coach, and then they won like six, seven in a row. And now they're nine in a row. The Hawks won nine games in a row. Was it nine? Yeah. Um, and, you know, and they're still only 500 for the year, so it's just a mess. And I'm sure we'll see a couple other winning streaks and losing streaks in the next six weeks. And then we'll see playing games, and it will all play out super fun. And then all these teams will try and take on the Bucks, Nets, and 76ers and probably not do so well. But at least it's fun to watch every night is that every single game is changing positions and stuff in the standings. So as of right now, you have for the playing games in the 7-8 game, you have the Celtics Heat. And then the 9-10 game, you have the Pacers Bulls. And then the loser and winner will play for the 8th seed. So... Fun stuff. The Raptors are outside looking in, and the Hornets, Knicks, and Hawks are currently in, which is just crazy to think about that the Charlotte Hornets are on pace to win a division this season and have home court advantage in the first round of the playoffs. So it's madness out east. Every night's fun because it's not fun. 
4 through 10 in the Eastern Conference are separated by four games total. So if you go on a three-game losing streak, you could drop out of the playoff hunt right now in the Eastern Conference. I got one question for you about the East. Do you think there's any chance of an upset in the first couple of rounds in the East? Are the, are the Sixers, <laughs> Nets, or Bucks in trouble of dropping a series against a team that you wouldn't expect? Depending where some of these teams fall. I think Miami's uh, a threat. I would keep an eye on Miami. They just reloaded. They had some injury and COVID issues early in the year. Obviously, they're coming off the finals appearance. They could they could give a team like the Bucks, like they did last year, or if the Heat could lock down defensively and give the Nets some trouble. You know, the Heat could slip in there and win a playoff series um, against one of those three teams, as well as the Celtics. The Celtics have missed yeah. four years, had some issues, but there is a path. It's a small path. But there's a path of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Kemba Walker getting healthy for the first time in forever. It all falls into place. So the Heat are the big ones where I'm like, keep an eye on that team. They can give a team trouble. Just, I mean, as I said, they're coming off a finals appearance, so obviously they're dangerous. Um, but that's about it for me. Yeah, I think that's probably pretty fair. The Heat, the Celtics, I have my doubts about because it's not even on court issues. They're having problems in the locker room. And the. <laughs> You know, being a Jazz fan, this is kind of funny to say, but the only time I've really seen a team solve locker room issues midseason is when you had a three-month break midseason. Yeah, so Brad Stevens might be on his way out the door there, and he'll get another NBA job within 20 minutes of getting fired. Oh, yeah. But I think there is a point where it's been eight seasons now, and there's been some locker room struggles year after year, and just a change of scenery, kind of like we saw with the Hawks, might be necessary for some parties there, so... The, the Celtics are in trouble, and I don't know if Evan Fournier is the solution to all the troubles. Okay, let's move to the Western Conference, and I just want to start, and we'll we'll go through the top six teams, and I want to talk about streaks right now and how tough the West is. Jazz, number one in the West. They've won six straight. The Suns, number two. They've won two straight. Clippers, number three. They've won six straight. The Lakers and Nuggets, 4-5, they've each won two straight. And the Blazers sit at six, they've won three straight. So obviously these teams aren't playing each other, but the winning, the pace that Western Conference teams are winning games at right now is unbelievable. Yeah, you got to count losses. That's what you look at. When you look at the standings at the top of the West, count how many teams the losses have, how many, teams, ugh, how many losses the teams have and go from there and throw in tiebreakers. And that's why the Jazz kind of have the one seed locked up. Outside of a mini little breakdown and Phoenix beating us both times in Phoenix, the Jazz have the one seed locked up. I think basketball reference has us at 97% to be the one seed right now. So, again, it makes the play-in really fun for the Jazz. But it's nice talking about the standings and not talking about where the Jazz are because we know where they are and we are very, very confident in where they're going to finish. So all all five of these teams, if we're going to say the Jazz are, are number one in the West and they've basically got it locked up, let's look at the Suns, Clippers, Lakers, Nuggets, and Blazers. Two through six, who finishes where based on what you've seen so far in this season, the trade deadline deals like the Blazers picking up Norm Powell, the Lakers and their Andre Drummond, but also having injury concerns. The Clippers went out and hoped that they traded for playoff Rondo. The Nuggets, obviously, some really big acquisitions. Aaron Gordon, a guy I had my eyes on for the Jazz. And JaVale McGee is a backup center. Who would you predict if you had to go to Vegas right now and put a bet down on the four teams with with home court advantage in the first round? I think it stays how it is um, right now with Phoenix and L.A. at 2-3. But then I think Denver and Portland jump Los Angeles. I'm really worried about the Lakers injury like we talked to start the show. So I'd go Phoenix, L.A., Denver, Portland, Los Angeles is my two through six right now. And I think Denver-Portland would be a very fun first-round matchup with 
the winner getting the Jazz, and I think the Jazz would love to have Phoenix, L.A., and Los Angeles on the other side of the bracket, and it would just be a good division format, you know, because you'd have the three Northwest teams on one side of the bracket and the three Pacific teams on the other side of the bracket. So you could get some true division champions that way. Um, but that's how I'm kind of expecting it to play out, depending on when AD and LeBron come back and what the exact situation is when they come back. Yeah, I think that's probably pretty fair. And saying that the Lakers could fall to six, honestly, is not an indictment on them. It's more of a reflection of how good the Western Conference is right now. Personally, I love what the Nuggets did at the trade deadline. Obviously, I was a fan of Aaron Gordon. I think he fits their system and what they're trying to do perfectly. And I just imagine Gordon's athleticism on back cuts and working to get open with Nikola Jokic finding him. I don't know how you defend that. They're scary to me in the playoffs. But if it were to work out, like you said, where the Nuggets and and Trailblazers end up playing each other and then the winner faces the Jazz, I would much rather have that than have to worry about going through both of them. Having those L.A. teams and the Suns on the other side of the bracket, and you would hope at least two of those are knocked out before you have to face anybody. Staying in this one seed, we've talked about it plenty over the last couple of months, but it's so incredibly important for this Jazz team to stay at one and be able to create the easiest path to the NBA Finals as possible because the West is a gauntlet no matter how you cut it. You're going to play at least two great teams and then another team in the first round, whether it be the Mavericks, the Spurs, the Grizzlies, the Warriors. Honestly, probably the Spurs worry me the least in that group. The Grizzlies we've seen are a pretty bad matchup for the Jazz. Well, they're a good matchup for us as Jazz fans. The Grizzlies don't match up well with what the Jazz like to do. But even in the first round, you're more than likely going to face a really good team with a great star that if you don't bring your A game, you could lose in seven. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, you know, that's what makes the playoffs so fun. We saw with the uh, you know the 2014 Spurs, who everybody loves and is one of the best few teams of all time, and just the way they played those last couple series was just lights out. That team had a game seven against Dallas in the first round of the playoffs. And there was, like, some worry, like, holy crap, is Dirk about to pull this off? They just had the 2011 first-round loss to the Grizzlies. They had the 2013 uh, Ray Allen shot in the finals. They had some bad, heartbreaking losses all over the board the previous few years. Um, and they ended up getting away with that Game 7 against Dallas and then go on to win the finals and then now viewed as one of the top 5-10 teams of all time. So, you know, first-round matchups can get scary. And that's okay. The Boston Celtics in 08 played 26 games to win the championship. They had a 2-6 game series, a 2-7 game series. And, you know, that's what it's all about is winning those series, regardless if it's in 4, 5, 6, or 7 games. But overall, big picture, it is going to be easier from the 1 spot than it will be from the 5 spot or the 6 spot or whatever the Jazz are used to. It's always the 5 spot, right? (laughs) So getting the 1 seat is very, very important. And outside of a knock-on-wood Rudy Gobert injury, they should lock that up pretty easily. And here's my last question for you before we finish up with this standings conversation. Sacramento and New Orleans are sitting at 11 and 12 in the West right now. They are, let's see if I do my math, Sacramento is three games out of the seven seed, and New Orleans is three and a half games out of the seven seed. Are we counting those teams out? You, you mentioned earlier that the Kings have been playing great basketball. De'Aaron Fox got player of the week over Donovan Mitchell. Obviously, the Pelicans have Zion Williamson, who's been playing some great basketball. If you had seven through eight right now with the Mavericks, Spurs, Grizzlies, and Warriors, I'll frame the question this way. Who would be most likely of those teams to drop out if the Kings and or the Pelicans get in? So the thing with the Spurs and Grizzlies is they had some COVID issues earlier in the year, and so they've only played 44 games compared to most teams playing 46, 47, yep. uh, even some 48s around the league. Yep. So they have a lot of back-to-backs, a lot of travel. 
The Grizzlies, I think, have like 12 home games left and something crazy like 16 road games left. So they're just going to be on the road the entire rest of the season. So I kind of expect Memphis to fall out. But then you look at them like, I don't buy Santa, I mean Sacramento coming in, and I don't buy New Orleans coming in. So maybe the Grizzlies can hold on to the 10 seed or something like that. But I'll just wrap it up with this. The play-in is going to be so, so, so much fun. Yeah, it is. Um, as of right now, you have Mavericks, Spurs in the 7-8 game. Grizzlies Warriors in the 9-10 game, and then of course the winner and losers are playing for the 8 seed. So it's going to be a ton of ton of fun. I do expect Dallas to kind of lock into seven, just like they did last year. But with the playing game, they can't lock in seven until they win that playing game. So you know that could shake things up a little bit. The Mavericks would be one loss away from fighting for the lives for the 8 seed, and then I do expect the Warriors also to just with their playoff experience of Draymond and Steph and not much outside of that, to be honest, thinking about it. Um, I do expect them, though, to kind of sneak into that eight seed if they have a one-game matchup against the Grizzlies or the Spurs or the Kings or whoever it may be. So I'm going with Mavericks 7, Warriors 8 right now, maybe vice versa, depending on how things fall. But I do think the top six are locked in, and the middle four are relatively locked in. The West is kind of getting some separation right now. Man, how scary would the Warriors be in a one-game playoff? Oh. So, I mean, how scary are the Warriors going to be in a seven-game playoff if that's who the Jazz play? It's true. That's just how the playoffs are. It, the, it doesn't matter. The Jazz are going to be in the best position they can be at the one seat, and it's still going to be terrifying every game, every night of the playoffs. And that's <laughs> what makes the NBA great. Oh, does it make the NBA great, or does it <laughs> induce heart attacks? Man, I'm getting too old for this. <laughs> we'll be all right. But let's wrap this up. Let's do some Rudy Gobert greatness talk, because I love talking about how amazing Rudy Gobert is. All right, let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back and talk about how Rudy Gobert is possibly the second-best player in jazz history, but not the first. Time out, how about this jazz? If you haven't had a chance, check out the Jazz Pod Co-op on Twitter. It's a group of podcasts with like-minded people that just want to share their opinions on the jazz. Here's a preview. Mark and Doug Hintzy on the twos and threes. The weird things about dude shots is like my favorite like NBA subcategory of and like or they're like the length of their arms affecting something i i'm I'm like whether they jump off of one foot or two foot right emily and mccoy on the jazza gals if anything that video also reminded me like how just a few inches difference it was between us being on one side versus the other you know like well we all know a few inches can make a difference who logan and jared on hitting the high notes i don't even care if they're hurt i mean or we're not going to dance on any injuries but yes oh, i i, I buy i buy I, I can't make any promises <laughs> i don't even care if it's a fluke or we cheat i don't even care I'll take yeah. if you're not cheating you're not trying right um, yeah. that's what they say and brian and mccade on home court press quit boy on memphis is really struggling to shoot so giving the boy on to the grizzlies and then having the Grizzlies forward our first-round pick onto another team. If you can get Boyan a first-round pick and then get Memphis to throw in a first-round pick in Dang and take Boyan, a lot of possibilities open for a guy like John Collins. How about this, Jack? Welcome back to Home Court Press. Brian Priest here, McCade Pearson on the line. We just got done looking at the NBA standings, and wow, it's, it's going to be quite the stretch run. I'm really excited about it. <laughs> but now i got to argue with you, McCade. Give the listeners your point right now because the claim on Twitter – was that Rudy Gobert is a better player than John Stockton. 
So first of all, I mostly talk primes. You know, Stockton played for 20 years and was just absolutely amazing for basically all 20 years. You can't consolidate John Stockton to a prime. His prime was like 16 years because he was so consistent. You could argue John Stockton's prime was like the three-game stretch. He had 70 assists or whatever. Or you could argue it's like 16 years just because he was so, so, so consistent. Um, But Rudy Gobert is such a generational talent. Um, such a generational player. What he's doing with this Jazz team in this era is insane. And I do think that prime Rudy Gobert is a better basketball player than prime John Stockton. And I have watched plenty of John Stockton. How many podcasts did we do last summer during the hiatus where we went back and watched old playoff games and this 27 assist? I mean, yeah, it was a 27 assist game against San Antonio. And I've watched a lot of John Stockton, so I'm not just like, oh, well, uh, points per game. But I do think that the talent we are seeing from Rudy Gobert and the impact you're seeing from Rudy Gobert is at an all-time level, um, and I do have him slightly over John Stockton on my prime jazz player rankings. Okay, if we're talking absolute top-end, best basketball they ever played, maybe you can make an argument that Rudy Gobert has had a higher top-end level than John Stockton, but John was so consistent. He played with the team for, what is it, 20 or 21 years he was an all-star, uh, as I pull up his basketball reference right now, he was an all-star, ah, this is, now I'm going to have to count. He I is can't. a 10-time all-star, 11-time all-NBA, 9-time assist champion, 5-time all-defensive team. Um, he was fantastic. He was an all-star game MVP, a 9-time assist champion in the league, uh, two times he led the league in steals, and so... It's a hard comparison, obviously, because they're not even remotely similar type of players. But the impact that John Stockton had on the Jazz and the way he raised all boats, he and Rudy Gobert are pretty comparable because Rudy makes every player on this Jazz team better. And John Stockton... very comparable, especially when you adjust for era that, like... Stockton was obviously a small point guard, right? And Gobert's a giant center. But their team is built around their impact to make the other team, the other teammates better, um, both offensively and defensively. John Stockton, the defender at the point of attack, Rudy Gobert defending the rim, and then all of Rudy Gobert's screens and John Stockton's passing and just the playmaking and gravity that those guys have, as well as elite, elite efficiency shooting from both of them. These are two of the top 10, 15, 20 um, shooters of all time in terms of true shooting percentage, where they both just never miss shots, whether it was Stockton layups and threes or Rudy Gobert at the rim. Um, these guys were just elite, elite shot makers and getting out to the line at outstanding amounts. There's just so many similarities despite the positional differences that I think these guys are actually very comparable in their respective roles. I just have a really hard time trying to say that Rudy's prime, because he is in the middle of his prime, so we don't know how long it's going to last. But I would, a hundred times out of a hundred, I'm going to make the argument that John Stockton's prime was 16 or 17 years because of that consistency that we've discussed. And yes, Rudy may reach a higher level. He may be playing at a higher, more impactful level than John Stockton ever did in his career. This has been the best season Rudy's ever had. But I think you're jaded by the recency bias, the fact that you've been able to watch Rudy Gobert's entire career, and you have some personal tie in this. You like talking <laughs> about that story when you were at the draft and you heard that they were picking Rudy Gobert, and you told, was it Bowler Jack, that yeah. he was going to be a Hall of Famer? No, absolutely. Like I do love Rudy, and recency bias is a thing. This is a very unfair uh, thing to push against Stockton, and I know that as I'm about to say it. 
that you know, <laughs> it's just a what if game. But I will say the Jazz are about to be the one seed, win relatively sixty games uh, when you adjust for eighty two and whatnot. This is the top three or four Jazz team in Jazz history, and Rudy Gobert is no doubt about it the best player on this team. Yeah. And John Stockton, outside of his rookie year, got to play his entire career with Carl Malone. And so I think it's very fair to say that John Stockton is probably the best player in NBA history who is never the best player on his own team. And that's a weird thing to... Ooh, I challenge you there, too. Who? Who's I... better than Stockton? Who's never the best player on their own team? N- nobody, but Stockton was the best player on the Jazz. John Stockton had... Oh, had okay, just as much saying. to do with Carl Malone's success as Carl Malone did. Stockton's ability to put him in the right situations, to get the pass at the right point, and to to challenge. I mean, if if you want to talk about this sounds kind of cheesy, but yin and yang, those two were absolutely perfect together yeah. as complete and total opposites. And so yeah Okay, okay that I'll give you that point. I think that's a fair point. That you know, you can specifically specifically some years at the end of the 80s and early 90s where you could argue Stockton was better than Malone. But overall, he played with Carl Malone his whole career, and that has a lot of value. And Rudy Gobert hasn't got to play with an all-time talent like that, and yet Rudy Gobert is still carrying his team to a number one seed and a 60 win and all that fun stuff. And so I just think the impact Gobert makes offensively and defensively, as I said, is very similar to Stockton because of their ability to lift their teammates and be efficient and just have virtually no negatives. I'm not sure if there's a negative aspect of Stockton's game. I'm not sure if there's a negative aspect of Rudy's game. Make them both great players. So that's the thing. If you talk all-time general NBA, I'm actually a lot higher on Stockton than most people because I appreciate the efficiency and the no negativity of their games. But I also, for those same reasons, love Rudy Gobert. And so I just... Rudy Gobert's 60 wins this year is what the Jazz are going to be at. Um, And that's just insane for... To be the best player on a 60-win team is so, so, so difficult. You know, guys like Akeem never done did that, and Gobert's going to do that. And so I just, to wrap it up, really do think Rudy Gobert's ability to make his team so much better offensively and so, so, so much better defensively, because is it insane to say Rudy Gobert's the second, third, maybe even best defensive player of all time? And that's half the game is defense, and he could be the best all time on that side of the ball and that's just really amazing and Rudy Gobert deserves more credit for that I want to make sure and preface this with I'm not arguing against Rudy Gobert at all in this conversation yeah, I'm not arguing against John Stockton let's throw that out there I love yeah. John Stockton he's amazing yeah so we're just arguing for basically the best player of our eras of watching jazz basketball I want to push back on one thing that you brought up earlier you talked about Stockton and how he played with an all NBA and Hall of Famer his, his most of his career Besides his rookie season, he played with Carl Malone. Yep, absolutely. How do we know that Rudy Gobert is not doing the same thing? Donovan Mitchell's only in his fourth season in the league, and he continues to show the growth season after season, month after month, that you would look for in a guy who ends up being a maybe not a generational talent like Rudy Gobert has been, but a guy who is going to start building a Hall of Fame resume. If the Jazz can win a championship this year, that vaults both of those guys way higher in the all-time rankings. And just because we're so early in Donovan's career and we don't know how the story is going to finish doesn't mean Rudy's not playing with the same type of talent that John Stockton did. Yeah, that's fair. Although I'll push back because Carl Malone was a two-time MVP and 14-time All-Star. Yeah, but Carl Malone should have been a no-time awesome. MVP. Carl Malone won MVPs, and this is coming from the biggest Jazz fan out there, but he won MVPs because people were tired of voting for Jordan. Just like people are tired of voting for Rudy for Defensive Player of the Year. No, so 
Rudy Gobert should win defensive player this year, though. Pretty better. Vegas is kind of locked into that. Anyway, the we'll see what happens with the Jazz playoff success. And you do, you mentioned, you know, could Donovan Mitchell be some sort of Carl Malone to an extent? And I think that's a conversation worth having. But playoff success is also very, in my opinion, at least overvalued in terms of player nostalgia and ranking. And it took Stockton Malone, what, 13, 14, 15 years to make a finals, and then yeah. they never won one. So we'll see what happens with Rudy Gobert over the next four, five, six years and how long his longevity lasts and things like that. Because I do think, in my opinion, it wouldn't change anything if the Jazz won the championship this year. It'd be like, yes, Rudy Gobert is still great. And now there's just a trophy to prove that. Um, but I think for a lot of fans, if the Jazz win a title, win the Jazz win a title this year, um, a lot go. of people will put Stock, I mean Mitchell and Gobert up on that Stockton and Malone level just overnight based on the fact that they won a championship. And so I don't buy into that as much because I'm process, not results kind of guy. Mm-hmm. But I do think watching playoff success uh, narratives come out over the next three, four years and develop um, based on what they already have over the past few years can dramatically change things, obviously. Because, you know, everybody loves Stockton Malone before 1997, but when those guys made the finals, when John Stockton hit the shot against Houston, it changed history um, and narratives around their playoff success. So let's see what happens with there. I do want to wrap up that if Rudy Gobert was born in the United States 60, 70 years ago and then got to play for the Celtics in the 60s, he would be viewed at as a top 10 player of all time, just like Bill Russell is. Now, this one's bold. Bill Russell, what? I said, this one's bold. I like this. No, you know, Rudy Gobert is very much the same player, probably better than Bill Russell. Um, Rudy Gobert is a lot better offensively than Bill Russell was, and they're both all-time top two, three, four, five defenders of all time. Um, and so, you know, Rudy Gobert is the modern-day Bill Russell. Like, you, it's hard because you can't have possession stats, and analytics obviously don't go back that far to find really good in-depth numbers. But even just their box score numbers, like rebounding percentage and stuff like that, are very similar. Um, Rudy Gobert's a lot more efficient, even era-adjusted. Um, Bill Russell's pretty league average, true shooting percentage, and Rudy's obviously elite. But the defensive impact is there. And, you know, a lot of people will bring up the fact, oh, look, Bill Russell played with X amount of Hall of Famers. Bill Russell made X amount of players Hall of Famers. When Bill Russell goes and wins 11 championships, and then a guy gets out of his career and says, yeah, I won seven championships and averaged 17 points a game or whatever, I should be in the Hall of Fame, and gets in, he's a borderline Hall of Fame guy that Bill Russell got in. And I think you're seeing the same thing with Rudy Gobert right now. You know, Mike Conley's never been an All-Star. And then the season he gets to play 100% of his minutes with Rudy Gobert, he makes the All-Star team. Not that Mike Conley isn't great or not that Mike Conley doesn't deserve to be an All-Star, but the argument of Rudy Gobert got to play with All-Star Mike Conley is Rudy Gobert turned Mike Conley into an all-star. Rudy Gobert yeah. got Mike Conley over that hump. Mm-hmm. Um, and we saw that with Boyan last year. Last year, Boyan played with Rudy Gobert, and everyone loved Boyan. And now it's Conley this year. And so the ability for Gobert and Bill Russell and John Stockton to make their teammates better is what I really appreciate and really love um, in basketball players when looking at them. And that's what leads teams to winning games and winning playoff games and winning championships. Even if Stockton didn't quite do that, and Bill Russell did that 11 times in the 60s, Gobert is that type of player that doesn't get the respect he deserves um, at that level, that he just makes his teammates so much better. that, And it's just not a flashy 2021 style of play with him not shooting threes or being a post-up guy or whatnot. That I think Rudy Gobert's game will age very, very well as we look back in 20, 30, 40 years. 
I, I agree with that. And I think as I as we start to wrap up, and I feel like I've had a pretty dominating victory in this argument, we're going to have to go to the tape. We're going to rely on the you know, listeners. And to, we'll have this conversation again in August when the Jazz win a championship. He'd be like, yeah, Donovan uh, Mitchell over to go where the best two Jazz players of all time. I, w- I will not say that. <laughs> but what I will say is I understand where your argument's coming from about Stockton versus Gobert. If Gobert can give the Jazz another 10 years at, with five to six years at or near the production level he is right now, there could definitely be an argument made, especially if they win a title. I would say that Rudy probably is a more impactful player on the franchise than John Stockton was, but you just can't say it after eight years. That's really where I'm at on this one. Like I said, and I'm not arguing against Rudy. I'm just arguing for John in this one. Now, as far as the comparison with Bill Russell, I like where you're going with that, but I think it's it's easier to compare Gobert and Stockton and their generations because at least the league was similar. There was still 30 teams in the league, and while talent was a lot more diluted uh, the prime years of Stockton and Malone than it is right now, the, the league is flush with talent right now. It's a lot harder to judge Rudy Gobert against what Bill Russell was when there was 8, 10, 12 teams in the league, you know? And 10% of the league made the all-star team instead of 4% of the league. Yeah, exactly. No, yeah, and that's why era um, comparison is always really hard because of things like that teams and all-star numbers and all that kind of stuff. So I get that, but if you Rudy, people need to recognize Rudy Gobert as the modern-day Bill Russell and the fact that, yes, there are 30 teams now, so Rudy Gobert is not going to be able to carry the Jazz to 11 championships um, when he has a 1-in-30 chance to win instead of 1-in-8. But the impact of Rudy Gobert is similar to it, that of Bill Russell. Yeah, I would agree with that. You got anything else, man? This was fun. Uh, yeah, just read up there's a better prime basketball player than John Stockton. And follow me on Twitter at McCade P8. That's M C C A D E P eight. Everybody has their days where they're gonna be wrong. Everybody digs in on that island, and that's okay. If you're gonna dig in on Gobert Island, I'll wave as I'm <laughs> as I'm flying by on the uh, John Stockton speedboat. But you can find me, Brian Priest, on Twitter at bpriest24. That's at B-P-R-E-E-C-E-24. You find Home Court Press on Twitter at homecourt underscore press. If you like what you're hearing from us, remember to share, rate, and review the show so more people can find it. If they open the arena for all fans to come in, I got two tickets for whatever the next game will be. If that ends up being in the playoffs, so be it. If it goes to next season, so be it. But leave us a review. Throw your name out there, and we'll put you in that randomized drawing. And last thing, I wanted to bring this up again just because I thought it was such a good show. But Mark and Doug with the twos and threes, they had a high school basketball coach on the pod that you may have heard of, a young man by the name of Blue Edwards. On Twitter, you can find him <laughs> at True30Blue. I don't know if he's that young anymore. Um, <laughs> but no, that was a great episode. I listened to it yesterday. And go check that out. Before we wrap up, I do want to mention one more thing. Rudy and Stockton, I just thought of that we really got to appreciate the consistency in playing. Rudy Gobert hasn't missed really any time in his career for injuries. He had that one injury in 2017-18 and another minor mm-hmm. injury in 2015-16. But he's played, you know, he's missed like four games, five games in the last three years. And most of that was because of rest of playoff clinching. You know, yep. missed the last game of the 2019 season and then last year in the bubble as well. And hasn't missed a game so far this year. And obviously John Stockton, the same thing. Never missed time. And the best players are available a lot and that helps your team win games as well. So appreciate those two guys never getting hurt. I didn't want to throw that out there. Yeah, the Jazz franchise has been incredibly fortunate with the longevity of their players and the health of guys like John Stockton, Carl Malone, Rudy Gobert, and Donovan Mitchell. Hopefully that continues, obviously, for Gobert and Mitchell as they 
fight to win a championship this year. Put that gold patch on the back of my jersey so I have to tell the wife I got to go out and buy more. She's she's not on board, but really, I spend my money how I want. That's that's how it's going to work here, McCade. Yeah. You know it. <laughs> Take note. Hey, take a quick look at Snyder. Now take a quick look at Spider. Since so wait, yeah, I've been a rider. Utah Jazz keep getting higher. Damn, all I can say now is whoa. Royce with the D, Royce with the O. One thing Jazz Nation gotta know. Clarkson's nickname is Mode. Even on the road, four more threes from Jiggling Joe. My breath stopped with Donovan gone. But Ingles came out looking like LeBron. Like, damn, Conley with the Midas touch. Bogey drops 30. Yeah, that's clutch. Utah Jazz is doing their thing. My all-star vote, hashtag me yang. I do not like the Lakers, I just like D-Favors Utah Jazz, they rock my socks, go bear, I love you and I love all your blogs Are we surprised? This is a year we collect our prize 2021 Utah Jazz champs, heard it here first, now blast this jam like that It's true, Utah Jazz is better than you Tap a tap a keg, is the Ega Bomb crew just one by 30 What you gonna do like that? It's true, Utah Jazz is better than you Tap a tap a keg, is the Ega Bomb crew just one by 30 What you gonna do like it's true, Utah Jazz is better than you. Tap a tap a keg, it's the bomb crew, just one by 30. What you gonna do, like? It's true, Utah Jazz is better than you. Tap a tap a keg, it's the bomb crew, just one by 30. Hold up, hold up. Coming wrong strong. Donovan, 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 Donovan Mitchell. Donovan, 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 Donovan Mitchell. Donovan, 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 Donovan Mitchell.